free your mind of its alleged thought crimes with Vanguard Radio. I think my, just my yeah, I've kind of I've kind of popped that up a little bit actually. Trying to I've been popping it up a little bit throughout the whole show. Mm-hmm. Okay, this is uh, VNM Broadcasting. Uh, we're here with David Pring- uh, David Pringle as our special guest, and uh, uh, Todd Van Bibber uh, has called in and and uh, would like to join in and and talk with David for a little bit. Uh, do you have, for the listeners uh, who may not know, Todd was uh, also a member. Uh, in, of the National Alliance, and uh, so um, uh, perhaps uh, David was the membership coordinator when you joined. I, I don't know. Uh, nope, no, I, I wasn't. <laughs> I joined in 1994, and um, I think the membership coordinator at that time was a guy named Ron Mikoski, or I think that's how you pronounce his name. Yep. Um, but that's what it says on my membership card, which I still have. Uh, so, uh, nice talking to you, David. Thanks for joining the show. Hey, Todd. Nice to meet you. Um, yeah, I wanted to ask you, uh, I've been listening to a little bit of the program here. Um, I haven't been able to find it, but whatever happened to the uh, original, as penned by Dr. William Pierce, whatever happened to the original membership handbook? Um, well, there are a variety of copies out there. I actually have a um, version that I text scanned in in rich mm-hmm. uh, it's in rich text format word, mm-hmm. um, and we, we had put that up, I think, on the Michigan NA uh, Michigan unit site, um, so that members could at least have a damn handbook, right? Because it was okay. taking so long to get the thing out. But that's still out there. Um, I, you know, I don't have my copy. The, the Canadians uh, seized my copy a few years ago. Canadian, really? When you were traveling? Uh, yeah. I, if if we're ever traveling, nobody wants to cross the border with me back into the United States. <laughs> oh. I hear you. It's not pretty. I hear you. Yeah, I had a buddy. Um, he drives a truck, and. Um, he one of his routes was just to go up into Canada, and then on the way back down, he's a convicted felon, and it was unbelievable trying for him to try to get back into the country, back uh, into the U.S. Yeah, back in the United States. Yeah, see, that's that's my thing. Is uh, although the last time I crossed, I crossed a, uh, I crossed right by uh, Madeline Falls, and from, I crossed up the Osoyos uh, border crossing right there at the. In Washington, and those guys didn't do the SWAT team thing to me, which I appreciated. Wait a minute! Uh, wait a minute! SWAT team thing? What's that? Yeah, I, I got the cert team treatment at Sweetgrass. They uh, they rousted me out at M4 and Remington 870 gunpoint. Had it pointed at my little four year old daughter. Uh, got my my buddy Dave Ashcraft and his wife out of their car. And uh, you know, had them all all drawn down with their little four year old boy in the truck too. Unbelievable. And uh they took me off and put me in a cell. FBI was there, they interviewed uh my friend Dave and his wife Margo and what they did was uh they were asking them questions like are they traveling of their own free will? If they'd like to uh get away from me at that point, now is the chance, uh if they've been looking for it. Um <laughs> oh, you know, did they have a place to stay in West Virginia? All kinds of crazy questions. Now, see, 
the feds, they never came and asked me a damn thing. They had me for two and a half hours in a cell. You know, took took my shoes, took my belt, you know, uh, searched my butt crack. I mean, all kinds of stuff. They were, they were pretty uh, extensive, you know, uh, pretty thorough. And uh, they were looking for guns, and I did have guns. And, uh, you know, I, I claimed all the weapons that I had, and I got them all back because I wasn't breaking any laws. Um uh, but you know, it, this was strictly political harassment. Absolutely. And when I got it this time at Osoyos, it was I was with my wife. And what they did, and this is what they did at Sweetgrass, is they slowed the the line down. I I could see that the line had slowed from the time that we got in it until the video camera looked at my driver's or my license plate on my car, and. Um, then there were two guys out, then there were four, then there were six, then there were eight. And they all just seemed to be milling around. Well, you know, it's never like that if you cross and you're not, uh, you know, if you normally cross, there's never tons of ice guys milling around. They're all doing something. And so they're all milling around. I get up. The guy says, you know, I hand him my uh, passport, my wife's passport, and all my dog's paperwork and all that kind of stuff. And he takes it from me, and he says, "Thank you, Mr. Pringle. Uh, turn off your. We'd like you to turn off your ignition and open the car from the outside, and proceed to the back of the vehicle slowly, keeping your hands where we can see them." And so there's all these uh, soldiers for the government, and you know they uh, they search me, I'll take my knife, all that kind of stuff. Just so, just so, I don't know this, David. Are 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 you a convicted felon? Nope. Well, they're treating you like this. Yep, it's it's purely political. I mean, even, harassment. even to treat a convicted felon like this, in the sense that a convicted felon who served his term and you know uh, you know paid his uh, whatever the the cliche is, uh, you know even that's a little bit rough. Uh, but to, just to treat someone who's traveling, that that is pure political harassment. Absolutely, it's a hundred percent political harassment, and. Um, you know, my dad tried to tried to uh, joke with me about it a little bit and say, "Well, they did it to Rush Limbaugh, so you're in good company." And I'm thinking, "Yeah, well, you know, uh, Michael Chertoff called Limbaugh while they were doing it to him and asked him if he was okay." You know, Skeletor didn't call me and say anything to me, and they never apologized, nothing. And they segregated me the second time. They segregated me in the other interview room. And, and trust me, if the ice guys listen to this. I appreciate not being handcuffed. I appreciate not having gun barrels in my back. I, I'm all happy about that kind of stuff. Um, and, you know, I just cooperate with them because Lewis Beam had a good saying, when it's 13 against one, you know, you already missed your chance to make a stand. When it's one against, you know, you want it to be 13 of you against one of them. And so that's kind of the way I think about it when they are all rushing me. Is uh, I just try to have a contest to see how fast I can stick my hands up, uh, you know, and uh, and make sure they see that there's nothing in them. Uh, part of it is from that dang Southern Poverty Law Center, Forty Faces of the Future article where they talk about, you know, uh, that I train with weapons and I'm infantry and that, you know, I carry a gun, all kinds of stuff. Uh, I'm sure that some of that feeds it. Yeah. Because 
and this is the the other thing is is that you know both times the the rank and file ice guys had no idea what was going on. They just knew that my license plate came up, and they knew that they had to get me out of the car and secure me. That was all that they knew. The second time, the ice guy, when he started typing, he says, oh, I'm sure it's just a snafu, Mr. Pringle. Because they asked me if I'd ever had a problem going through the border. I said, yeah, I had a problem with sweetgrass. And, uh, you know, I told him what happened with the guns. And, uh, you know, uh, I left. I didn't lose any weapons, nothing, you know. I mean, I I didn't have any problems. Uh, Aside, you know, once they searched my vehicle and, uh, and all of that, and, you know, to their credit, they put it back together because they pulled all my door panels off and all that kind of stuff. <laughs> they they put my truck back together, and the dude even gave me a Phillips head screwdriver in case any of them were loose. <laughs> it, it says U.S. Immigration or U.S. Customs Service on it. On yeah, a screwdriver. When you get, I, when you get, I still have it. When you get pulled over next time, they're going to say, what are you doing with this? This, this is federal property. <laughs> yeah. Well, say I clipped it. Yeah. Uh, and so... Uh, go ahead. Well, um, and when the guy was typing into the computer, and this is why I know it's political, is that he typed in and he looked at it, and then he shot a glance at me, which was a you know a right angle turn for his head. Looked at me, looked back at the computer, and stood up and went and got this guy um, uh, who had a oak leaf on, like a major, you know, in the army. And he, and he was the head of the whole thing. He comes out, and uh, then I get my whole, you know, bodyguard thing around me, all the uh, ice guys, five of them, to walk me off into another interview room. And he says, oh, Mr. Pringle, we don't get too many celebrities around here. Oh. And, you know, and I'm thinking, you know what, F you. And, uh, and so I just answered their questions that I thought were relevant, as in... Um, uh, I, th- I think the you purpose going? of a lot of these uh, uh, encounters is to is to, is to get someone uh, uh, off center so that they'll make a comment. Yep. And uh, and uh, uh, I, I've even I was listening to Metzger. He's another guy I like to listen to quite a bit. And you know he was even saying don't even don't even discuss your political beliefs with them. As no, you, it's impossible. You oppose the war. Don't even tell them you oppose the war because. You know, they could. Uh, I, I think that I'm, I'm quoting him on this uh, uh, roughly. You know, he's saying that you know they could use that as a uh, you know you're you're uh, you're a, what a terrorist or whatever, right? You're you're whatever it is. Uh, yeah, enemy it, combatant or whatever. Yeah. Yeah, well, That's an enemy if, combatant. Yeah. yeah. If if he or or any convicted felon like on a, a polit- they have a political history gets arrested these days. They're already labeled as an com- enemy combatant. Not technically, they can because Bush hasn't yet signed HR six one six six. I don't know why he's waiting, but um, but that's once he does, that's what will automatically be labeled as. No matter what we say, we could sit there and say, "I have nothing to say. I have nothing to say." We're already enemy combatants. So just to be, just because of our membership in the uh, National Alliance. Yeah. Well, uh, these guys, I didn't say anything to them uh, politically because, uh, you know, these guys are soldiers. They're not... If, yeah, they're not principled people at all. Well, well and, and, you know, even if they were, uh, everything that they do is corrupted just because the system is corrupt. Well, when you right. say and, soldiers, and that they're functionaries I mean, of it. Th- these people are, are not just your, your what, average, uh, 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 like, army... Uh, 
corporal or private or whatever. I, I was not in the military. I don't know the right. These aren't the yeah, rank and file. Oh, sh- these people are, are, are something a little bit different, right? ICE? No, these guys. Yeah, these guys that guys. work the border, they're they're a standard ICE officer. They have actual military style rank. It looks like warrant officer rank from the army. Okay. And then they have officer rank. And any of these groups, Border Patrol, ICE, uh, FBI, CIA, um, you know, ATF, any alphabet soup government thing is paramilitary in nature. And so, I think it's health. It's good to consider them soldiers. Same with police, local, state, yeah. any of those kind of guys, and a lot of security companies. Well, so. David, you know, you were in the military, and um, I, I always ask members of the military when they're on the show that are former members of the military. I mean, did did you become? Uh, did it affect your racial racial consciousness being in the military? Sure. Yeah. It's it's one of the most racist uh, racist uh, uh, subcultures that you can be in, uh, aside from being in prison. It's probably the most racist environment besides prison that I could think of, off the top of my head. And would something like finding your your commanding officer, uh, uh, you know, as a black, uh, and you know, and all that goes along with that, does that does that help to, uh, uh, you know, does that help to uh, you know, stoke this, this, you know, I mean, I, I can't think of anything, you know, more humiliating than than being under the command of a nigger. I mean, I, I would, <laughs> I, I would wash out of the military in weeks. That happened to me a couple times, yeah. but um, on average, uh, the guys that I served under were uh, high-functioning whites. In fact, uh, one of the guys that I served under that I actually I was his driver, when he was a major, is uh, the lieutenant general that's in charge of training all of the Iraqi guys and was the uh, division commander for 101st Airborne during the invasion. Uh, member of the Council on Foreign Relations. <laughs> I didn't know that till after. Actually, he was the first guy that ever, where I ever found out what the CFR was. You know, and then it was like a club. But later on, I read a book, Shadows of the Power, that, uh, and the Kingmakers. And, told me otherwise. Anyway, um, I, I ran into some things. For instance, I had a black guy when I was uh, I was an assistant platoon sergeant for a while, and uh, I had a black guy who I was forced to promote over a white guy uh, who was much more qualified to be a specialist, from PFC to specialist. And that was one of the, that was right about the time where I decided that that was about it for me. Yeah, I, so. I, I, you know, I, I can't. What I mean? What do you think is going to happen, uh, David, uh, when all these soldiers come back from Iraq and and all that mess? And uh, I mean, is there? You know, I look at what happened after World War One when you had the, uh, you know, very very uh, patriotic. Young men of uh, Europe uh, go off to these trenches and and fight, and uh, you know believing in the systems. And they came back. Um, many of them came back very disillusioned, and and they formed the fascist movement. Uh, the early fascist movement was largely made up of ex-soldiers. And uh, I, I I don't know. This country is is radically changing, and it it seems to me that the 
well, it's not that seems it is a fact that most of the men uh, dying and fighting uh, are white boys from the Midwest and South, uh, largely. Seventy-four percent of all yeah. casualties. Now, here's what I think: is that I think what these guys will do is make up the uh, cadre of new militant leaders in the in the American right, as in the racialist right, and um, that's what happened after Vietnam. And I think that the exact same thing will happen after after Iraq and during Iraq. Guys like Louis Beam, who arguably is Patrick Henry of our uh, our movement, um, you know. To guys tell the who, listeners a little bit about Louis Beam, I don't know much about him actually. Can you can you tell me about well, him? Well, Louis Louis Beam was a door gunner in Vietnam, and uh, he came back. He's a, he's a Christian identity uh, guy. He was a, he was in the Klan. And uh, he became a Grand Dragon in the Texas Klan. And he would hold workshops on uh, how to take direct action against the enemy, as in how to burn things down, how to blow things up, how to do things and, and not get caught and uh, and that. And so um, his book, Essays of a Klansman, uh, you know, gave like a point system so you could kind of direct your direct action uh, in the right way huh. uh, and not wasted. But um, what happened was is that people who have heard this guy speak in public have been the peop- a lot of the people who have taken direct action. For instance, uh, many of the guys who later became uh, members of the British Reagan all heard Beam speak at uh, Aryan Nations. He was their ambassador at large. Uh, Tim McVeigh heard. Louis Beam speak at, a, at the Waco Remembrance, uh, uh, the one-year anniversary. Well, now you brought up, you brought. I want to get back to this this Beam fellow, but you brought up McVeigh, McVeigh here, and, and my take from reading uh, from reading a review of American Terrorists was is that the primary He's motivator behind McVeigh, what was motivating him, was well, uh, one event in particular, and that was Waco. And well, he, is that Oklahoma, right? Oklahoma City was a revenge. That was stri- it was strictly revenge. That was a punitive action taken by McVeigh against the system, or you know whatever conspiracy you want to build into it. Sure. The standard understanding of it, if you read American Terrorists or if you've read McVeigh, uh, uh, anything that he's written, like letters and things like that, is that he attacked Oklahoma City, the Murrah Building, uh, as revenge. Yeah, he said it was, the way I see it is, it's 168 to 1. When they kill me, it's 168 to 1. Yeah, and and so um, uh, the reason I mentioned it is that he is another person who took direct action against the system, um, who heard Beam speak. Wow. And so, uh, and lots of other people, I mean... uh, Is Beam still alive? He is, and uh, he's not taking an active role. He has a website, lewisbeam.com, or the seditionist.com. He used to put Both out a newsletter. Both great websites. Really? Hell yeah, they are. Yeah, they are. Great websites. Absolutely. Every white nationalist should read him. He's got some. He's real level-headed, and he's a Vietnam at a Vietnam experience. He was a, he was on the FBI's ten most wanted list, and had, went to Mexico. Had he ever have he had he ever committed a crime? No, in fact, he was acquitted at the, at the Fort Smith uh, at the Fort Smith trials. Now, and that's after 
they uh, the government in, here in the U.S. because uh, Beam was hiding out in Mexico, and Mexico only extradites people on drug crimes, not on political or other kinds of crimes. I don't know what they do now, but that's how it was then. And so um, the DEA said that this guy Beam was uh, a big drug lord, a big drug kingpin, and they needed <laughs> to get him. And so they came there, and they they got Beam and his nine-year-old daughter, kaboom, hold him down, you know, if you move, I'll effing kill you kind of stuff. And then uh, they raided the house where his wife was, and his wife killed two federales with a forty-five shooting them in the chest when they came in. And they held her in prison, I think, for six weeks in the Mexican jail, uh, until uh, these were American federales or, or Mexican? These, no, these were Mexican federales. Oh, she wow. shot him dead. And uh, first, good shooting. I mean, yeah, <laughs> that she must have had trigger control, you know, front sight squeeze, I mean, everything. And so, <laughs> you know, but, uh, in preparation for today's uh, broadcast, uh, uh, David, I went to a gun sto- a gun shop, <laughs> but we'll talk about that later. Yep. Anyway. So uh, so anyway, I mean, he has been through it now. See, they held him in, uh, in Fort Smith, or they held him over for the Fort Smith sedition trials for two years, uh, in which he was acquitted and he was released. So, and he's had cancer and different stuff since then, and uh, you know, so he's taken a lesser role. But um, you know, after Waco, he kind of uh, reappeared on the scene. And gave some great fire and brimstone speeches, and then um, there's a speech that he gave to a, a Christian identity gathering in Estes Park, Colorado, and that speech easily has to be one of the top five speeches, white nationalist speeches that I've ever heard in my life. Is, it on, top, is it on MP3? Yeah, and it's on the internet. Uh, if you run like Lewis Beam plus Estes Park um, okay. in a Google search, you'll find. It. In fact, I think it's hosted by Starfront. Uh, believe it or not. Pardon my uh, pardon my ignorance, uh, but I, I'm coming up. I'm I'm coming up on a lot of things. How's he spell his name? Lewis Beam. Uh, B e a m, just like Jim Beam. Mm-hmm. You know that I I gotta say that's one reason why I'm really happy to have you on. Is um, uh, I, I guess it doesn't matter. I mean, so many things are under the bridge, but in a lot of ways, it does it does matter a lot. Uh, and that's one reason why I like listening to your show and, and Metzger's show. And uh, I'm learning a lot about what happened before I came on the scene. And, uh, you know, there, there's a lot that's happened. And, you know, folks like Beam and, and uh, you know, so on. I, it's, uh, I, that's why I visit your site quite a bit. And you link to a lot of different people. And, and on your broadcast, David, I think you treat, you know, you have your own viewpoints on things. But you treat pretty one, you know, except for a certain pair of people, two, a couple guys, you treat everyone pretty fairly and, you know, treat, treat them pretty squarely. And um, I'm really happy to have you on tonight because of that. And, you know, you, you link to Vanguard News Network also. I do. Um, and, uh, you know, I, I never... Alex let me uh, say my piece on VNN Forum when I, uh, when I couldn't say it anywhere else. Mm-hmm. Which is one of the reasons why, you know, I started White Wire in the first place, um, was because, you know, it's me uncensored. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I don't censor any of the comments or anything. I mean, you'll notice some people say some uh, gnarly things about me. Uh, so, within reason, um, like, uh, 
there's been some things that were said about uh, like Lynx and Lamb that were not publishable. Sure. Um, things like that, which, you know, uh, speaking of them, you know, April Gady just uh, called me the other night. Did you know that they made an arrest? I haven't heard anything since then in uh, the uh, Internet uh, email threats that were coming to those girls. Uh, no. Who did they arrest? Some 17-year-old kid. Who who was right there in Collisville? I mean, I didn't. Uh, she just called me to tell me about it, and I haven't looked at it since then because I kind of been busy with work and, you know, I, I drove up to Den- drove up to Denver yesterday. Is there a but name? I, I, you know, they hadn't released the name yet. She didn't know. She just knew that they'd made an arrest. So, uh, and they tracked his IP address. I guess that's how they got him. Good. Are these local cops. Yep, lo- the local yokels did it. Wow. The female body inspectors, uh, you know, they, <laughs> just, uh, they didn't do anything about it. Or as Metzger calls them, FUBAR Incorporated. Right. <clears throat> well, Famous I, but incompetent. Well, that that's good news. Uh, uh, they don't. They uh, produce a lot of good music. I know you, 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 you uh, play their music. I think you play their music on your shows, too. And uh, I have, yeah. I've, I've got to get some of that. Before this uh, today, I I took a I don't know you ever heard of Cabela's? <laughs> I have. Yeah, and uh, they've got a. Uh, I drove out to them. It's qu- it quite a drive from where I'm from, and uh, uh, went and looked at their guns. And um, I I like to uh, I like to trap shoot and and that sort of thing. I don't get it sporting clays and so forth. I don't get to do it very often because I'm busy. But um, it costs a little bit of money too sometimes. And but um, I went and looked at the guns out there in the rack and. Uh, they had a nine. I want to ask your opinion on this. So they had a nine millimeter uh, CZ, uh, nine millimeter. I forgot the model number. What do you, What do you think of it? Was, the thing? Well, it was I, like a CZ seventy five. Yeah, it was, and it was three hundred seventy five bucks. And uh, that, that's that, not too bad. CZ is a good pistol. I mean, uh-huh. spend uh, a few bucks more and get a Glock. Really? Well, and see, that's what well, what that's what I was going to say is that um, my personal philosophy on it is that when you buy a weapon. Um, get the most, get the best thing that you can get, uh, even if you have to put it on layaway for a little while. And you want to stay with uh, name brands, although there are plenty of off brands. Um, and, and CZ is a, uh, is a you know, um, people all over the world use them. But um, CZ is not an off off brand. No, it's not really an off brand. No, but um, you know. Say that uh, say that society broke down tomorrow. Chances are you could reach in a variety of dead public servants' <laughs> ammo belt and pull out a magazine and slap it in your Glock. Absolutely. Whereas you oh. couldn't do that with a CZ. If you, if you if you're getting what I'm talking about. Why are there. the Glocks like that? Because, oh, because they use they're, they're so reliable. Oh, yeah. Just to give you an idea, I, I went to a gun range, you know, years ago. Where they, you go to the gun range and you say, let's say you don't have a gun, but you want to shoot a gun, you can rent one of the pistols at the gun range. Uh-huh. And most of the pistols that they have at these gun ranges are Glocks. And, um, you know, the guy had a Glock 45 there, and uh, this was like 13, 14 years ago before I decided to get one. I asked him, I said, how does that Glock hold up? And he said, well, it's been in the case here for two and a half years, and it gets rented about six to seven times a week, and um, it's never had a jam. 
And I say, how, how often have you cleaned it? He says, I've never cleaned it in the two and a half years it's been here. Right. See, that's okay. a Glock. I mean, that's a gold Glock. Is that what Glock. you shoot, David? Uh, I am a Sig man. Okay. Which is and just as nice, if not nicer. Sig Sauer, uh, P229, 40 Smith & Wesson. I mean, I can advertise it since the feds have already had it in their possession a couple of times. Um, they gave it back to you? <laughs> yeah. Huh. I, I mean, you know, I, I have what I recommend for everybody that can get one is a concealed weapons permit. Um, they're a good thing. If you don't live in a place where you can get a concealed weapons permit, you know, if you've ever read anybody like Jeff Cooper, like uh, To Ride, Shoot Straight and Tell the Truth, his book, uh, or any of those books, um, there is the axiom, it's better to be judged by 12 and carried by 6. Because, you know, you can get out of prison, but you can't fix dead. Yeah. And so, uh, you know, you everybody has to make that decision themselves, and I'm not recommending it over anything else, but I do recommend staying alive. And so, um, you know... Uh, yeah, now, Jeff, the CZ-75, it's a good gun to have to go target shooting, but if there's ever a situation where... You can, you know, you want a gun with you when, you know, the balloon goes up. I would stake my life on a Glock. I wouldn't do it on a CZ-75. I wouldn't do it on a Colt. Um, I wouldn't do it on a Smith & Wesson. I would do it on a Glock, Sig Sauer, or an H&K. But those are, those would be my top three choices. They, these new uh, Springfield XDs are, uh, are pretty good pistols. Um, I had a buddy who got a Springfield XD in the 40 caliber, and uh, I was favorably impressed with it. Uh, it had everything that you know people are looking for, um, and at the same time, is uh, simple in the way that it operates, right. like a mm -hmm. Glock. Yes, and it doesn't have a lot of things to mess with. For instance, getting a gun with a safety. You know, I don't have one with a safety. I don't need my I'm my own safety. My trigger's off the finger until I or my fingers off the trigger until I have the target in sight and I've decided to fire. Absolutely. And so, um, and basic gun handling, you know, um, that's where you, you're your own safety. And you know, a lot of people favor 45, like a Colt 1911 45. The thing about that for like a, uh, you know, shit hits the fan pistol, is. Um, is that after a while they do become, um, you know, maintenance intensive. If if you're like, the reason that like, uh, you know, SWAT teams or big shooters like that uh, use uh, the 1911 is um, is because right they're shooting it and cleaning it, shooting it and cleaning it, and and they've had it to a gunsmith and he's done all kinds of stuff to it, and most of those guys are stepping out of a SWAT van, raiding somebody's house. Stepping right back in, right, and, and they're they're in the gun culture. If you're a gun guy and and you can do it constantly and keep up maintenance and everything like that, then you get a pistol like that. But if you're just somebody who wants a, wants one that you can pick it up out of the box, pull the slide back or not, you know, if you've already got one in it, and just start shooting, then yeah, the brands that Todd named uh, or XD, uh, those are all. You know, the th you know the thing. I mean, I, I know you enjoy shooting, and, and as well as I do, and uh, it's difficult sometimes to find a place to shoot. But I, 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 but I think that you know the reason why a lot of listeners tonight may be interested in the subject of guns is because of this disorder 
that we're you know possibly confronting and you know there's two ways of looking at it and give me some feedback on this uh you know we may just descend into and this is a well well trod subject uh for net white nationalists we may just descend into some sort of like uh brazilian type of state or of course we could go another route and uh go into a uh uh a situation where there's you know massive balkanization and social unrest and, uh, and 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 warfare between various factions, but the thing about it is, is w- I think we all agree it's going to go in one of the other two, one of those two paths, or some variant of each, and both those paths are very violent paths. Absolutely. And uh, and so you know even if you say oh well there is no there's not going to be any sort of uh, mass awakening of whites where we go out and and get rid of all the the scum in our society well that's true but if we go into a, a Brazilian type situation that's that's a society that's just as violent and just as nasty. Absolutely. Well I'll tell you what um, Jeff it's interesting though that all these you know metrosexuals and guys who have you know never shot a gun in their life. Uh, or the guy, even the guys that are in the militias that, you know, the, the patriotards that say, you know, they have, they've got a lot of guns, they know about guns, they're in the gun culture, uh, but they just, they'll swear to God to their dying day that they are not racist. But the thing is, though, is that the white race, we have like this fail-safe me- mechanism in us, is that when we see people around us, especially our white kinfolk, being slaughtered, uh, that's when this default kicks in, to where we throw all of the, you know, crap out the window about I'm not a racist, uh, I've got black friends, uh, <laughs> I got Jewish friends, stuff like that, stuff that we hear other pe- white people saying that you know is just nonsense. So all these white people that say, oh, my grandfather was part Cherokee, all that crap goes right out the window when they start seeing other white people around them being slaughtered, especially kids, and. Um, just like what happened uh, the other day, I think you started the thread about the uh, the riot in the riot. school. Yeah. Okay, those are the kind of things that is are going to take place where whites say, you know what, you know, fine, we're not racist in any, anything, but we've got to protect our families. And uh, one interesting thing that happened back in, uh, I think it was 2001 when this Wichita massacre took place, is that there was... In the, in the local sense, within Wichita, there was no censoring on the news of that subject. It was right out on the local news. This is what the Carr brothers did. They took these people out to that soccer field in the uh, dead of night in the snow. They made these people perform sexual acts on each other. They raped the women, and then they shot everybody in the head. When that happened, the gun sales in Wichita, they couldn't stock enough guns in those gun stores because whites were just flooding those stores and buying pistols. And that's what's going to happen is when people start to see all this non-white violence go on around them uh, that the news media can't cover up, people are just going to start buying guns and become more conscious about defending themselves and their families. It's too bad that it took to get to this point to get people to wake up, but that's what's going to wake people up is not it's not going to be the message boards it's not going to be tabloids it's not going to be anything else they're going to have to see on video other white people getting slaughtered by non-whites before they wake up yeah it's, it's going to be blood and that's and that's the way um lots of people have thought of it i i've always thought of it like that and um you know one thing that i'm i'm big on 
is, you know, I encourage people to arm themselves. Absolutely. But I also encourage them at the same time, you know, uh, to not just go out and plink and not just go out and target shoot. But if you're gonna, if you if you're willing to spend four or five hundred dollars on a firearm that you're gonna probably carry with you at some point, then you know you could spend a couple hundred bucks, uh, or even a little more, on formal firearms training and actually get into it to make sure that you know um, when the moment happens. See, you know, uh, we learn tactics not so that we use them; we learn them in case we have to use them. Right. Well, so, so so when a, when a situation happens, uh-huh. for instance, when a situation goes black, which that that means that's when bullets are flying. What you should be thinking to yourself isn't, uh, "I was afraid this might happen." It's, "I thought this might happen, and I'm ready for it." Yeah, that's 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 how that's how you make sure that you survive, and the chances of you surviving. If you do that and a few other things like the combat mind, combat triad, mindset, gun handling, and uh, marksmanship, you do a few things like that. Like you know, every time you see your front sight in a situation, you're just concentrating on your front sight. In fact, you may not even see anything else except for your front sight. Front sight press. Front sight press. And you know, you do a few things like that, and you learn those things by going to some of these schools. And you know, I had a few women after a show on White Wire recently where uh, they called me for formal firearms training uh, suggestions, and I gave them to them. And I'm not going to name a bunch of academies on the radio because then they'll be looking for us. And there's so many of them across the country that you can Google search it. Okay, this is what I wanted uh, to ask you, yeah. You can Google search it, and you can come up with fit, you know, with uh, good academies. Now, there's, of course, there's a, uh, A-list uh, gun academies, and you know, if I named any of them, I'd never be allowed to go to any of them again. <laughs> but okay. uh, you know, the ones that you—they'd they, be in Arizona, in Nevada, in uh, New Hampshire, places like that. Um, but you run former f- formal firearms training, or you run like your st- state plus weapons training in a Google search, and you'll come up with exactly where you should go. And you're looking for guys who are NRA law enforcement certified. Who um, you know have uh, who can you, you don't necessarily need a cop. You, you know the best firearms instructors that I've ever met or trained with were neither police officers or military, and they don't have to have been in 25 gun. If you've been in a lot of gunfights, right, you're you're in a bad situation anyway. That doesn't mean that you're you know a super duper uh, uh, shooter or anything. Um, the best gunfighters are the ones who avoid them in the first place. Absolutely, and and what and that's the other thing is that once you learn the basics of um, you know you go through formal firearms training, then it's just like you know just like my German shepherds, right? I teach them to bite so that they know when they can bite and when they can't bite. Absolutely, right? Yeah. So you don't get fear biting. And so, you know, uh, you won't, you run into a Bernard Get situation or any kind of thing. We don't need to get into like dissecting gunfights or anything. But the <laughs> gunfight that, the, the, the gunfight that you can walk away from that's the best one is the one where, number one, you still stood your ground, right? But you were able to either defuse the situation. Uh, I've been in four, uh, firearms incidents. One of them I was arrested on. That kind of sucked. 
But I got my guns back. I didn't get charged with a felony. All the charges were dropped and everything. It just cost me 2000 bucks. But I would do the exact same things again. Uh, you know, and that was I broke up a felony robbery. Um you know, and none of those guys were expecting me. I could tell you that right now by the looks on your on their faces. And the police, uh, I think they arrested me for job security. Yeah. <laughs> and the, the other one was uh, a bunch of Mexicans tried to take my bicycle uh, while I was riding to uh, school at the University of New Mexico. And they weren't expecting me to pull out a 380 and say, which one of you beaners wants it first? And, you know, I didn't have to shoot any of them. They understood right that second with my, I pulled it out crisply. I had both my eyes open. You know, I was calm and, and at the same time charged with adrenaline. And I calmly told them how they were going to die if they didn't <laughs> drop my bike and leave. And that was all it took, you know. I mean, seriously, a, a lot of these people aren't used to being uh, opposed, and so when you, they do run into opposition, especially from whites and especially from women, and uh, yeah, they're looking for weak people. That's right. And the other two, you know, we'll just uh, we don't need to go into every single one ever. But um, you know, I had one just recently with a friend of mine uh, who's listening to the show, where a guy threatened us with a Glock, but his Glock was so far down, and, he, and this was over a fishing spot, dude. I mean, a fishing oh, spot. Right? And all of us are packing. Every single one of us had a gun. We could have put 20 holes in that guy in like 30 seconds. And so <laughs> what I what I did was, uh, you know, I thought, okay, you know, my one friend, I said, hey, did you see the gun? Uh, you know, and then as he was looking at him, and none of us pulled our guns out. We just let this guy, he got out of the water a little ways, which, you know, that's not the best, uh, you know, foot footwork or footing for a gunfight. And see, he was just hoping to bully us. And so we, um, you know, we walked up. I walked back up to where our campsite was, and I armed myself with an assault rifle, you know, a weapon for fighting, not for defense. And my kids were there. I had them get on the ground, you know, behind something that would stop a bullet. And we called the police and let our taxpayer dollars do the work. And, you know, they came up, they defused the situation. I got a $500 ticket for uh, from Fishing Game for what he was doing about our fishing site. And, um, you know, the cops explained to him, do you realize that those guys had assault rifles and they had uh, uh, all legal, right? Assault rifles, combat shotguns, and every single one of them had a gun when you presented them with your weapon. And the guy was like, no way, really? Because wow. he didn't realize how close he came to dying. And see, all of us have had firearms training of some form or another. And uh, and so none of us overreacted to the situation. And going back to the training <coughs> issue, David, I think one of the best quotes I've ever read, and I don't know if Marcinko penned it, but uh, you know, you read Richard Marcinko books, and he always is saying that the more you sweat in your training program, uh, the less you bleed on the battlefield. And I think it definitely applies to uh, to uh, gunfights as well. Well, and, and that's it, too. Um, and, and, you know, it's a great hobby. It, it's great to get your family out. Uh, you want to make sure. I know a lot of guys who don't encourage their wives enough to uh, get out or, you know, buy your wife her own gun. Absolutely. Uh, one that she can handle, by the way. I mean, uh, you yeah. go to forums, like, uh, where they start talking about guns, and, and that's not just white nationalist forums. We're talking, like, Glock Talk, AK-47.net. 
Yeah, exactly. And so all of these uh, guys, you know, the rule of thumb would be you want to get the most you want to get the most powerful round that you can shoot accurately. Right. And so, like for instance, with the woman uh, that I set up with a firearm last week, I set her up with a Springfield XD nine millimeter. And all these other guys are like, oh, no, you need a 45. And I'm thinking, her hands can't even reach around the 40. Yeah. That's a double stack 45. Yeah. Her hands can't even reach around it. Another one, good one for women is the Ruger SP-101. It's a 357, but, you, you know, they can carry 38 plus P's in there. And trust me, a 38 plus P, 120. It's not a joke. And, uh, you know, uh, hide shock, that's going to that's gonna make an impression. <laughs> I'll tell you one thing, Jeff, that I will say to you, and I cannot emphasize this enough is that if you or anybody uh, that's a white nationalist or otherwise, any white person, is thinking about getting a gun, the very first thing that you need to do before you even purchase a gun, you need to take some kind of NRA um, hunter safety program that explains to you uh, firemen, uh, ownership, firearm ownership, and, and <coughs> safety about using the gun. Because... There has been so many people, white people especially, that have died needlessly because of just the, not being unsafe, not being um, you know cavalier with the gun. But there's a, a right way and an improper way to handle guns. And people that have never had guns or been around guns before don't understand how dangerous they really are. And um, I think taking you know cor a course on this. Uh, you know, just a, a two or three hour course on gun safety will go uh, a long ways when you have a gun and you're, you know, you're around other people that have guns as well. Well, all right. I've got to make an announcement here at the top of the hour. Uh, since we've gone, since we, we're, <laughs> I hope you're going to stay a little bit longer, David, because uh, Lita had you lost share of the kids. <laughs> yeah, Lita had Lita That's had to go. She's a high school student, and I know that uh, there were. Uh, uh, posts over at Peter Shank's forum, and I believe it. Uh, I believe she said at Tom Metzger's site too that she was going to be on, and we're going to have her next week on in the first hour. And so, um, uh, Lita is a high school student, so she has things she needs to do in the morning, like go to school. And so uh, uh, we uh, will have her on in the first hour. But right now, let's let's. Uh, David, can you hold on a little bit longer? Sure. Okay. Let's uh let's go ahead and take a short break. Free your mind of its alleged thought crimes with Vanguard Radio. 